Howdy. I'm Kate Cavanaugh, and you're listening to The Groundwork Podcast. This begins an exploration of connectedness, looking at our own nature through the lens of nature. Mind, body, and soil. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Groundwork Podcast. I am your host, Kate Cavanaugh, where we explore the interconnected themes of mind, body, and soil. Today's episode is heavy on the mind and the body as we revisit with one of my favorite guests, Erin Pate. When we last left our heroine, Erin, she was about to embark on a big climb of Mount Rainier in Washington. And this was a part of a culmination of her life, which has been so beautifully intentional, where many moons ago, she had seen climbers coming off of a mountain as she brought her kids to various national parks across the country. And on seeing the look on their faces, she knew that she wanted to have that look on her face. And so I caught up with her briefly after she Maybe I won't give it away. Briefly after her experience on Mount Rainier. And I think that this was a really neat episode to get to follow up with such a beautiful journey and to kind of go on a a journey with her. That initial episode I titled without really thinking about it, The Journey to the Summit. And I was thinking a lot more about the sort of meandering path of her life But then we have this actual journey to the summit of Mount Rainier. And I think that Erin has so many lessons for all of us. And I just find her to be an incredibly inspirational force. She makes me want to get up and do the thing, make it happen, climb the mountain, and really take ownership of that process. And there aren't many people that just really sink you into not just inspiration, but also the idea of just how possible those actions are. And she really opens up this door of possibility and relatability within the context of exploring going after our biggest dreams. And so this this is a little episode for you to just get super inspired by her journey, to hear about her experience climbing Mount Rainier, and to walk away feeling like you too can climb your biggest mountains. And so I just... I couldn't be more excited about this episode. I'll keep it short. It is a a shorter format episode. I encourage everyone to go back. If you haven't already listened to Journey to the Summit with Erin Pate, go back, listen to it now because this episode really builds on a lot of the groundwork. Do you see what I did there? That we laid in that episode. And so... If you're about to dive into this episode and you haven't listened to that one, I really encourage you, go back, give it a listen before you follow up with this incredible journey. 
If you, like me, are just so excited to hear the stories contained inside this podcast, could you do me a really big favor and leave a review on Apple Podcasts? It really helps the algorithm prioritize people finding this podcast. And while it's a big space, there aren't a lot of podcasts that are really kind of diving into these seemingly disparate themes the way that I am. Not sure how that was at tooting my own horn. But all of this to say, I would really appreciate your review. And more than that, I just deeply appreciate your listenership. I record this podcast out of my own curiosity and the fact that so many of you have found that you are curious about many of the same things is just incredibly heartening. So such a pleasure. Thank you for listening. And without further ado, does she get to the summit? What happens to our heroine, Erin Pate? And can we get this woman to write a book, please? Please, let's make that happen for her. Everyone, Erin Pate. Hi. Hi. So the last time that we were together, oh, we we had such a good talk, but there was this piece looming in the distance of you climbing Mount Rainier. And it's funny because I named that episode The Journey to the Summit. And I was thinking about it in a very different way. I wasn't actually thinking about it through the framework of you about to embark on this actual journey to an actual summit. I was just thinking about the sort of meandering path that we take in life and, and where it leads us. And now we're getting to sit back down and talk about the actual journey to an actual summit. Yeah. No, there's so many climbing mountains are so such a metaphor for getting through life. I've lived enough life to know now that it's such a parallel and those things were really apparent in my climb actually. Yeah. So let's talk about it. Hmm. Yeah. Let's talk about it. I think, do you want to read the piece that you wrote on Instagram first, which I, I also sure. have here if you don't want to read it because I think that it just lays the scene so beautifully. Yeah. So I'm, I'm late in my hotel. I actually splurged at the end and got a hotel after the summit and I wake up and I I was so tired. I I couldn't even watch TV. I don't even have a TV at home, but it would have been a luxury to watch TV in the hotel. Couldn't even do it. Couldn't even have the energy to flip through channels. So I wake up the next morning and I was starting to think about all these metaphors that I had noticed while I was climbing. And I wanted to write them down before I forgot. So I wrote this down and posted it on Instagram. Um, It says, I summited Mount Rainier less than 24 hours ago. Here are my notes, fresh from the hardest to climb, most glaciated 14er in the lower 48. If you're going to do it, you got to just get started. Get to 80% knowledge, skill, and preparedness, and then just go for it. Don't wait for everything to line up perfectly. It won't. You're going to have to trust some strangers. There's going to be some areas you don't think you can make it through. Put your head down and follow those people in front of you who have done it before, and just focus on the next step. If you look too far ahead, you'll get dizzy. It'll be daunting. You'll get discouraged. Just move forward. Mountains are the great equalizer. It doesn't matter who anyone is or what they do. Surprisingly, the fittest guy who ran multiple marathons stumbled the hardest. In the beginning, you think there's only one path to the top, so you follow it. But when you're at the top, you look down and see how many thousands of different ways you could have gotten here. Even though I wish I had brought more, you can creatively make one Kleenex last for 30 hours of wiping junk off yourself if you have to. 
don't carry too much stuff around. It's heavy. And then my last observation was the best part of the mountain is not the top. It was the climb. It took 30 hours to climb the mountain. And then I spent an hour at the top admiring the crater. Yeah, it was cool. But the really beautiful stuff was in such dangerous places. I couldn't even take photos. Climb it so you can see the world, not so the world can see you. So that, that was it. I did it. I climbed it. I got to the top. I was lucky too. Half of that climb is weather related. And we had a beautiful weather set up and we 100% of my team summited at the top to the top of Mount Rainier. 14,000, how many feet? 14,410 feet. Yeah. 14,410 feet. That is just, that is, and I didn't realize it was, it was the most glaciated 14er, the hardest to climb 14er in the lower yeah. 48. Yeah. I, wasn't. I mean, there's, uh, you said Mount something at the beginning. I go ahead. Go ahead. No, go I'm going to let you go. Yeah. No, no I'm actually going to let you go. I'm not going to talk. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you said something at the beginning about metaphors and I want to unpack some of what you wrote about, but the first thing I was really thinking about, and I told you, I was trying to cram, I was trying to cram for this, this talk. And I picked up Robert McFarlane's mountains of the mind, which I love Robert McFarlane's work and mountains of the mind is just a beautiful book. And in it, he talks a lot about how much mountains have shaped our language, both in terms of metaphor, but also just in terms of this idea of, of reaching heights and getting to a peak and getting to this elevated space, you know, even rising up or to excel, which means elevated or high in Latin and, and just how much of that journey has shaped the way that we talk about doing hard things and that we talk about success. I'm just curious. I'm just curious what your thoughts are as you, as you relate those metaphors. I'm doing it kind of backwards. I lived life first, not that my life's over or anything, but I've raised kids. I've been married. I've had, you know, changes. I've had struggles and now I'm climbing mountains and seeing the parallel, you know, like, so it's, it's, I don't know if other people do. I, I was, I was on a climb with a 25 year old kid. So he's doing that first. And I even told him, as we said goodbye, I said, Hey, I want you to think when you're 50, I want you to think about this climb again. And I want you to think of how maybe us 50 year olds on the group saw it differently than maybe you did. Cause he's ready to go off and like do Denali. He's, I think he's a little bit more pumped by the physical aspect of it. And I think the ones over 40 were a little more pumped by the metaphorical aspect of it. That's just my take on it. Yeah. What do you think that difference is, that lens of viewing it a little bit more in reverse? Hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. It's, it's being able to see how some of these lessons in life, the, the micro and the macro, I've always been kind of fascinated by this with, with, I don't even know if I can explain this, but like how there's a pattern in how things are even just visually on the earth. Uh, our, our eyeballs up close can look like a image of Saturn. Am I getting off track here? This is maybe getting a little too <laughs> crazy. No, no, this but, makes perfect. No, this makes perfect sense. It's the it? okay. fractals. Is that what it's called? I don't even know. I started like a little project on this in my, about 10 years ago, of like taking pictures of things that almost had a similarity at a microscopic level and at a macroscopic level. And cause I was kind of interested to see how those things, how, how we're all kind of coming from, 
microorganisms, but the big things look like those things too. I don't know. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes, I do. They're fractals. So I think there's something about that 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 matches the climbing mountain thing, but it's more of a a philosophical thing than a, than a visual maybe. And I'm not sure a 25 year old can get that yet in the same way a 50 year old can get that. Yeah. And and you're right. There's this aspect of just enjoying perhaps the, the physical exertion and the physical struggle, but not yet really relating to that metaphorical sense of the mountain. Of course, there's going to be some that they can get and they might even be be sensing that there's more to this too. I don't know. I didn't do it at 25 to know, but I didn't, I definitely got more out of it because of my age. You said something in what you wrote that really struck me about in the beginning, you think there's only one path to the top. So you follow Mm -hmm. it, but when you're at the top and look down, you see how many thousands of different ways you could have gotten here. Yeah. And I'm, don't get me wrong. I, mm. I do. Oh, go ahead. You weren't done. No, go ahead. Okay. No, go ahead. The, I, I'm not making these things up. These are all things I've poached from books and authors and famous writers. I, you know, like so. These are all kind of somewhere in my head. I'm not. I'm not even. I'm not even claiming that I wrote that. But there's something that I did notice about that. You, especially when you're young, you think I got to do this step, this step, and this step. But now that I'm in my 50s, I can see. Oh God, there was just so many ways to do this. You don't have to do it the way that you thought you had to at 20 years old. Um, and that's su- such uh, a good lesson for all of us to realize that we get kind of stuck on a path and worry about things. It doesn't have to be that one way. There is a lot of ways to get to a top of a mountain. Mm, I love that. But it's so much easier to see that from the top than it is to see it when you're at the bottom or when you're halfway up the mountain mm-hmm, and you yeah. just can't imagine a different path. Yeah, right. Just, just from experience. I I wrote down this little quote from Robert McFarlane, and he says, great height gives you greater vision. The view from the summit empowers you, but in a way, too, it obliterates you. Your sense of self is enhanced because of its extended capacity for sight, but it also comes under attack, is threatened with insignificance by the grand vistas of time and space, which become apparent from a mountaintop. This is the human paradox of altitude, that it both exalts the individual mind and erases it. Yeah. And that's why I think you go back and do it again. I stepped into REI, the camping store, or I guess the outdoor sports store, and got was in the backpacking section and was just in heaven. I hadn't been in a, uh, I haven't been out in the woods for at least three, four weeks now. And uh, just seeing the backpacks put me <laughs> back in that spot of being on top of a mountain or halfway up a mountain or at an alpine lake with a grizzly walking by or seeing a moose walk through my campsite and I need to get back to that soon. Like that's it, just seeing the backpacks uh, kind of threw me back into that zone, you know? So I am addicted to it now. Yeah. I, I summited Mount Rainier and it was pretty miserable. Like you're pretty much miserable the whole time and got down. And I was like, I'm done. I'm done hiking. I'm done walking. I, I gave up walking that day. I was like, I think I'll just be a couch potato for the rest of my life. And as I drove back home to, um, through, Washington state and past the Cascade mountains, I saw, you know, I saw Mount Shasta and I, and it started to whisper to me like, huh, you should come climb me. Like, you know, like don't, don't give up yet. And then I, I have this Mount Whitney permit that's really hard to get. Um, and it's, it's a mountain that's about a hundred feet taller than, I think it's 90 feet taller than Mount Rainier. And so 
I didn't want to do it, but I'm doing it. I already got people signed up to go with me. I've got my, my, I don't know how old he is quite, but he's in his late sixties. My mentor friend from Montana, who's going to come with his other mountain climbing friend. He's been taking me up mountains over in Montana. So he's going to come and do Mount Whitney. He hasn't done it yet. Um, but we're going out Mount Whitney in a month. So I'm, I'm not done training. I had to get back on the beach stairs and uh, started running again. And I'm, I'm heading back up to Montana to, to get to altitude. It, you know, I can be up there at 5,000 feet. And the, I just, it doesn't end. It, ca- it comes back around as much as you want it to be gone from you. You can't, it's, you can't exercise it out of your, out of your body once you've tasted it. That's just incredible. And I, I, I knew that would be the case. You said you that predicted you were going to retire yeah. after this. And I was like, I don't, I don't think that's what's gonna <laughs> but I think this, that going to happen. But I think that there's this really, I'm retiring after this one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I'll believe it when I see it. I think that there's this aspect of that you talked about, first of all, that, that the summit wasn't really the pinnacle, but it was the climb and it was the difficulty of the climb, that there was this, this deep struggle, this type two fun. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how the experience in the moment compares to looking back at it, like Mm. the depth of that struggle in the moment and just putting one foot in front of the other and, and then what it is to view it through the rear view mirror. The thing that I didn't enjoy about it the most was the pressure. You're climbing with other people. You don't want to be the weak link. You don't want to be the one that has to turn around and make everyone, or at least a couple of people go down with you. Or So when I showed up at Mount Rainier, that pressure had like maxed out. I was like looking at the mountain a couple of days before while we were getting gear ready and stuff. And I was getting nauseous, like wanting to throw up and cry at the same time, kind of nauseous. And I don't do that. Like I got rid of that stuff way early in my life. Like this is not a fun life for me to have that kind of that stress. So I haven't, I hadn't felt that very often. I think the last time I had felt that nauseousness of, of nerves, um, I was quitting my, my job back when I was like 22 years old and going freelance and trying to live the graphic designer freelance life, which worked out. Um, but anyway, that, that feeling I don't enjoy. So I was just promising myself to not put myself in a position like that again. We show up at the first day where this is like a a four day thing. Like you climb for two days, but you're prepping for two also and learning some skills and going over gear and making sure they're, they're putting us in groups too. And my mountaineer friends had told me like, you got to look kind of like a badass. If you want to summit, you want to get, cause you're older, you're, you're, and you're a woman. So I had a couple things going to, that might've been stereotype, you know, like, Oh, I might've been the weaker link of the group. Cause I was with a group of men, about seven guys and me, and I was the second oldest. So I get to the mountain and we're doing some practice. And so I'm just making sure that I'm up front, that I'm energetic, that I'm the first one with my pack on, that I'm a yes kind of character instead of a, a whiny crybaby type. So um, that pressure was, you know, intense too. The good news is I did get put on a team right the night before we climb, I found out that I'm on the team and I'm like, that team's going to summit. Cause I knew I could just tell that was the 25 year old kid. That was the German climber. And that was the, the guy that hadn't been up to the summit yet of Rainier. So I know that he was wanting to get up there this year too. So that made me, that put me on fire. The fact that someone believed in me that I could do it, I was going to do it. That made all the difference. And my nauseousness went away at that point. 
and I got pumped. And then you wake up and you, so you find out you're on the A-team. What happens? What happens next? So they watch the weather all night. They send us to bed in a little, basically like uh, plywood cabin on the middle of the mountain. We ha- we spend the first one day climbing halfway up the mountain because it's a kind of an easy climb. It's, you know, maybe I think it was about 4,000 feet we had to get up and it, they've just, that's what, where we're going to sleep for the night. And then the next day we're going to summit. So we're sleeping in this cabin. No one's sleeping. There's 20 people in there. there. We got two climbing teams together. We're getting to know each other. I'm sleeping next to strangers. You know, you can't, you roll over and everyone hears it. Um, so, and you're nervous. And, and the, the guides are watching the weather and they're not telling us when they're going to wake us up. So we are just sort of restlessly laying in the dark, waiting to get the knock on the, on the door. Uh, so he comes in, the, our guide comes in about midnight and says, we, we're going to leave in an hour. And so we all start getting ready, putting crampons on, our, getting roped in, getting on our teams, making sure we've got our packs um, with everything inside, not nothing dangling on the outside. There's all kinds of like uh, gear we had to have in certain places. And we start climbing. We're, go, we're out in the dark. Like you don't see, a, you've got headlamps on. Like you're, all of a sudden it hit me. I'm like, I'm on a mountain with strangers with a headlamp on and I I'm sensing the danger in this now. That was kind of the the one surprise to me is how dangerous this was. I could we had avalanche beacons stuck to our chest. Each of us had to have one. So yeah, you start to realize that you're you're on the edge of of something dangerous, which is also a thrill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I I I think that danger is part of the recipe of it that's in that addiction to mountain climbing that people experience mm-hmm. is is living life just a little bit on the edge. Yeah. And you said that those were some of the most beautiful moments, the most dangerous ones. Yeah. That was the other surprise is that you actually I'm usually one to take photos and like to take the take a minute to do it. But you can't. You're roped into the people in front of you and behind you. You can't stop. You got gloves on. You drop your phone, it goes down a mountain. So I got, we had breaks every thousand feet. And so at every thousand feet, we're sitting on the side of a mountain, we could take a picture. And I got a couple, I think that you're going to share with these guys, but yeah, it's just incredible. You're, you're, you're stopped and you're sort of, it's just become sort of a a machine at that point. You've got to, they tell you to drink a third of your water. You eat some calories, you put your jacket on, you take your jacket off. Anyone that needs, you know, to do a layer change. And it's really you're basically listening to somebody. That was another surprise. You're basically, at least in my situation, I think there's some people that do this differently, but I was just basically being babysat up this mountain, which is what I wanted. I needed someone to tell me exactly which foot to put where. And that's one way I, I get through these things is by following the person in front of me. And I just follow their footsteps and you get into a zone, you get basically into a coma and you just plow ahead. There's not much room for creativity, at least at my skill level at this point. I'm not route finding. I'm following the people that have done this before. What do you think that engenders in you in terms of trust? Just Mm. as you've been talking, I've been thinking Mm -hmm. about what it means to trust these strangers that you don't know that you are roped in with on top of a mountain in a very dangerous situation, listening to a guide that you, you don't know. That is a great question because I didn't even think about that reflection, but I have discovered just from being around other people in my life that I tend to trust people. 
I don't have a problem. I think that comes from a, a, a solid childhood. I never, certainly there were some like little misdemeanors that I could point out that where things could have where went wrong and could have gone worse. But most of my life, I've been able to trust adults, people in authority. I've never really run into an evil person. Like I've got a pretty good history of being able to trust people. So I trust a 25 year old kid taking me up a mountain. I trust a guy from Germany who's in front of me not to pull me down it. Um, I trust the 25 year old kid behind me to catch me if I start falling until further notice, there's no reason to not trust him. And it's worked well for me so far. Most people are good. I agree. And I also think that there's this aspect of being in a pressure cooker with people in that regard where you Mm. want to support the others around you, where there is this team aspect, even if it's just team by happenstance. Yeah. It's a cool feeling to just be bonded to people you didn't know three days ago in a way that you'll remember the rest of your life. I, I, you saw the drawing I did. One of the ways I, when I start to miss something, I, I paint it or draw it or sketch it or do something more with it. So when I got home, I painted uh, Mount Rainier and the path we went up and I sent it to the guys that were on my team. Cause I love them. I mean, I probably will not see all of them again. We've I've been in contact with a couple, but mostly once we've shared photos, I'm guessing that will fade too. But I did send them the painting that I did a copy of it for each of them I love that. that wanted it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I have fond feelings and I don't think it's because we had great conversations. I think it's only because we summited a mountain that was really hard to summit together. Yeah. Tell me about the summit. I know that this wasn't your favorite part, but as we think about this idea of of just sort of great heights, I, I wrote something down from Maurice Herzog, uh, who summited at Annapurna early on. And he said, no animal or plant could exist here. In the pure morning light, this absence of all life, this utter destitution of nature seemed only to intensify our strength. How could we expect anyone else to understand the peculiar exhilaration that we drew from this barrenness when man's natural tendency is to turn towards everything nature is that is rich and abundant? Yeah. I mean, what what struck me more is... I was putting myself in the shoes of people I had read about, um, you know, these quotes that have popped up through life or books on climbing accidents or climbers who have done amazing things or, or even just going it almost as like, uh, walking on the moon. You're going to a place that maybe, maybe a hundred people summit every day. So that's, and that's only in the, you know, the, the months that you can summit it. I was able to live vicariously through, through some of these characters I've read about and see what it, it, what it feels like to be them. And I think that is just my curious nature to be putting myself in someone else's shoes and see what makes them tick, why they want to do this, what it's like to be cold. If I didn't have my jacket, I'd have been dead in an hour. You know, like our gear saved our lives. This is not so picturing someone doing this a hundred years ago with the wool and leather and uh, homemade stuff that they used. I will understand that to a depth that I didn't before. I don't know if that's speaking to the quote you just said, but that's what comes to mind when I hear that stuff is what is the common commonality that we all feel in these moments that people who have done these kind of things. I think 
It makes me curious. I think you and I both have, um, we've talked about our sort of sensitive and empathetic nature. And as you talk about carrying with you these experiences of people you've read, and I know I'm also passionate about reading mountaineering books. And I was wondering how your your experience might have differed from your expectations as somebody who carried these these perspectives with you. Mm, okay, here's here's I hope this doesn't sound cocky. It was easier than I thought. I mean, how cocky is mm. that? I had trained for this like I wasn't sure I was ready physically. It's the physical part was easier. The mental part was harder. It was it was the surprise was that I was I was I was stressed out. I didn't think I'd be stressed out. I was stressed out until we started climbing. Once we started climbing, you just, I just got into the zone, but I wasn't scared of falling into crevasses. I wasn't barely scared of falling down the mountain. I mean, I felt safe. I felt, and I felt physically ready for this too. That was the surprise. I wasn't sure I was there. That's, uh, and that's, that's incredible. And it's an incredible feat. And I think it harkens back to when we were texting about this, you, you wrote that you felt that maybe you were one of them after all. Oh yeah, I know. And <laughs> I can't help. And I loved that because in our first taste. talk, we talked about, oh, I, I think it's more than a taste. I, I think it's more than a taste. And, you know, in our first talk, you talked about that first moment when you saw claimers coming off of the mountain and they just looked, the looks on their faces. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You wanted that for yourself. I, let's and remind so people of that I wonder, story to connect those two things, to be one of them. Yeah. So that's how this all started 10 years ago. I even run across the photo once in a while. I was taking three kids to Mount Rainier just to see the national park itself. And I'm, I'm in the visitor center. I'm in the parking lot because my kids are three years old, six years old, and nine years old. We're not going up Mount Rainier. We, we might go up a little trail, but you know, their, their fortitude was very small. And so I was sitting in the parking lot watching these glorious rough hewn mountaineers coming down, wondering where they went, what on earth, what is this? So I probably asked or something and found out they had gone to the top. And this is, this is what people do. Like, and I, and I kind of swore to myself that, okay, that's my next goal. I'm going to be one of those people. And, you know, slowly started to pick up steam when the kids started to get older and, and I, and I could go off and do some stuff by myself where they stayed in camp. And I met some mountaineer friends and I asked them to take me that's my way of doing it is I find people who are already doing what I want to do. And I kind of just glob onto them. And, uh, pretty soon I was on a path towards, uh, Mount Rainier's within my reach. I had done Mount St. Helens. I had climbed Mount Adams. Um, Mount Shasta kept eluding me because there wasn't enough snow on it and there's too much rockfall. But so I just skipped right to Mount Rainier because I kept waiting for the, the right time. And I, I should have done the other two mountains, the Cascades first, but then I was like, you know what? no, let's just get this over with. This is just too exhausting to keep waiting for Mount Shasta had to have enough snow or find people who can go. And so I just skipped right to Mount Rainier and I did it. Yeah. So <laughs> that was, that's how the whole thing started and it's still going. I've, I've got my, my Mountaineer friends coming with me up Mount, up Mount, taking me up Mount Whitney. So yeah, that's, that's the story of that. I just love that so much. I think you are, I, I think you're definitely one of them now. Oh, wait, one more, one more huge thing that yeah. happened that to, in that story. My girlfriends gave me a, an ice axe for my birthday one year, two years ago, and, and a helmet. And they're like, you need to go do this. Like, that was their message. And we had been backpacking for years together. And 
they were a little more less interested in climbing the mountains. So they sent me on ahead to, to do it myself. And so that was a huge, that was a huge, uh, gift, a, a meaningful, profound gift that actually played a huge part in getting me into this mountaineering phase at Mount Rainier. I was going to ask if the gift sort of created more of a goal than might've been there before, or if yeah. the gift was given because that goal was so strong. No, I think it was 50, 50. And that's a good lesson too, is if you see someone in your life that just needs the extra little push, do it. It helps. It made a difference. I don't know if I would have gone and bought my own mountaineer axe and got going, but once I had this mountaineer axe, I needed some dents and scratches in it. There's no way I'm going to carry this thing around all shiny and pristine. So I actually, <laughs> I actually try to hit it on rocks on purpose. Cause I need it to look a little more like it's been used. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. And I also love that you have such a support system that knows you so well and that is there to challenge and push you. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. One piece about this, I don't want to miss. And and maybe this is silly. I don't as because I'm not a mountaineer, I don't know. But as I read all of these things about reaching the summit and about climbing to the peak and about the struggle and the journey to the top, I rarely see anything about the descent. Hmm. And yeah, right. I think that's so interesting because in many ways, I think the descent is this aspect of integration for what this meant to you physically, metaphorically. I don't know. And so I'm curious about the descent. Yeah, it's such a relief to start descending because just the stress of getting to the top is over. Now it's just like, uh, we could take all day, you know, like in some ways you actually can't. There's some danger coming, as much danger coming down if not more, because of the, the snow, the snow starts melting and changing and you've got to get through some rough areas before rock falls to start taking people out. And you're still in a, in a wild and unruly place that's not playing by the same rules that, that we do down here in civilization. Things are not cleaned up. This is, this is wild. I mean, this is what it's all about. Back to bringing back in the wild part of it. That is a feature going up and a feature coming down. However, the, for me, at least the stress of coming down there wasn't any, um, you're tired, you're, you're beat, you're broke, you're, you're still counting, you know, counting the liters you have left of water and snacks and trying to ration it down. But, and you're kind of quiet. I, you know, at least on this climb, it was pretty just sort of pensive coming down. I think everyone had their own little bubble around them and we were, we were glissading down. So we were, uh, basically sledding down on our butts, um, which makes it more fun. None of us wanted to use, use our knees and ankles anymore. So as much sliding as we could do, it felt great. And, and, and then towards the bottom, when we got past Muir camp where it's a little more opened up and safe, then we just started having fun and talking. And, you know, I think even a little flask of whiskey went around and that got shared. So, but you're not, it's, you're not in the zone. You're, you're at least for me, I was at that point doing a little bit more reflecting on like, why the hell am I still doing this stuff? This is not fun. Like my body's thrashed. I'm sunburned. You have to, you're you're spending every two hours putting sunblock on your face, trying to protect your lips and your underside of your nose, the underside of your chin, everything gets burned if it's not covered. Um, So you're exhausted from every element of, of the wilderness. And you're just wondering why you keep doing this. You know, why, why am I doing this? That's what I remember thinking on the way down. (laughs) We talked a little bit before this about 
the sort of gap in memory, right? Between like, as you, as you reflect on this, it, it's different than the experience itself. And I think that we, we don't remember pain. And I think that this is just a, mm-hmm. this is just a human, a human trait where it allows us to go back into a variety of situations again. And so. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely just curious. Um, about Yeah. I remember this happening when I was about 18, we had to, my parents would always take us on these God awful adventure trips instead of like, my friends were going to hotels in Florida and sitting in pools. And my parents were making us canoe through the boundary waters of Canada and carry our canoes and, you know, live with mosquitoes and cook our own food and live in a tent and pretty much be miserable. But I remember coming, that was the first time I had felt this feeling of like, after I did that and hated it and swore off never being that kind of parent, I was so proud of myself of being able to carry a canoe. I went to summer camp the next month and I was the only girl in my cabin that could, that had already carried a canoe over her head and was, I got to kind of be a little bit of a rock star. So same thing here. You're like, you're miserable, pretty much miserable. Right. But I forget where it was. I was walking, but I was walking up some just like, you know, commercial building steps. And I was just strong. Like my kids were like, whoa, mom, like the way I was just climbing those stairs And there's just like a pride in that, like, oh my gosh, I do have strong legs right now. Like, I want to keep this going. I don't want to lose this. This is sort of an amazing feeling um, to be able to like climb, you know, 200 steps without even uh, batting an eye. So that's where I tap into it because I've never been one, the athlete part, the who are these people that, you know, we've all run into them in our lives, whether it's in high school football or meeting an Olympic uh, athlete, you're like... I got to taste a little bit of that too. And the problem is you got to keep it up. That's the bummer. You don't just, you're not, you don't get to keep it unless you keep using it, but that's kind of neat too, to taste test what it's like to be at that level of, of fitness or athleticism. That's not something I've, that my family was uh, something that they procured in us. We were, we were not athletes. We were not people who, you know, who were the best in a sport in my So that was kind of a new area for me to explore too. Mm, I love that. And I think that there's something that correlates, there's a physical strength and feeling strong in your body that it correlates with your mental state as well. Yeah. Yeah. So knowing that you can get through something that you could, that you're, that you're stronger, that you're a strong person, you know, that you're stronger than, than you thought you were. I'm walking out of this realizing I'm, I wasn't sure how strong I was, but I'm stronger than I thought I was. I love that. I just love, I just love all of this. And I am curious what else I'm curious what we missed in this process of talking mm-hmm. about this. I don't want to, uh, the only other funny little ending, I think, which is also a little life lesson is I, you know, you always are just planning the meal after you do something hard like this. Like you cannot, you want to have the perfect beer, the perfect cheeseburger, the perfect round table <laughs> of conversation. And one of the funny things on this one, I I thought it was going to happen. It did not happen. I had the crappiest cheeseburger. I had to like, and I was alone. Yeah, it was horrible. It was a horrible uh, post-party celebration. And everyone had to leave and catch planes in Seattle. So like I was by myself sitting at a picnic table, kind of feeling like this wasn't what I expected. But at the same time, that's the lesson too, right? Like you, all these expectations we have, are always disappointing if you have them. So don't have the expectations. Some of the best parts of my life have happened when I wasn't expecting it. 
the other times that I had planned it and had all the things lined up, they kind of were disappointing because you, you had all these expectations for it. So the meal sucked at the end. My beer was good and cold. That's about the only thing that worked, but the cheeseburger was horrible. <laughs> I really like that thought about expectations. And I can't imagine the expectations you have going into an experience like this. I mean, I th- yeah. I'm sure you have hopes and you have, you know, what could happen, but somewhere yeah, in the yeah. middle are maybe quite a few expectations. Yeah. Yeah. I would think so. And that's why I say just jump in at 80% because if you wait till you're a hundred percent, you've probably, ex- you're probably expecting too much. You probably have it so dialed that anything imperfect is just going to be upsetting, you know, but if you go in before you know everything, and I'm not talking safety stuff. You know, there's a certain level. I don't want to like belittle the safety of, of, of mountaineering. I'm, I don't want people up there that are going to fall on me either. So, or that I have to rescue. So the important stuff, uh, but the, the, you got to have that dialed, but the other stuff, um, you, you've got to relinquish control. And I think that's kind of what this is all about. You're stepping into the wild. You're doing something that's, that could be that wild variables could come up. You could have a storm, you could have gear go bad, you could have someone get hurt or, and, and the, that is the part that makes it an amazing experience. That's the part that you're there for. And to relinquish control, to relinquish control, right. To give to, to, you know, you're going into a situation that you cannot completely control. And I think that's what keeps pulling a certain type of person into these things and keeps pulling us back. That's a nice lesson to learn too. Yeah. I think especially for those of us that tend to, to hold tightly onto the reins Mm -hmm. of life, that that's a good, do we, what do you think? I, I'm curious if I, if I missed anything, this is, I don't this think is so. what I, I had. Perfect. Yeah. And we wanted to keep it, we wanted to keep it tight. I'm curious what you would say to anybody who wanted to do this? Like who listens to this and is like, okay, I want, what's the first step? I know that you joined a lot of mountaineering groups. Yeah. yeah. Well, I had, a, I posted something on a, on a climber's page on social media and I got like 4,000 comments back and like, and it was all, there was no haters at all. Everyone was like, Oh, thank you. You've, you've, you've given me the inspiration to push past, you know, my fear of this. And um, so anyway, what they, a couple of them wrote me privately and I, you just got to get started. Just quit putting it off. I guess if you have enough passion for it, it'll happen. But I don't have a problem with that. I usually follow my passions. I, I think there are people that have trouble following those for some, for different reasons, for various reasons, fear, you know, freedom, money. I don't know. Um, but I usually go for it. So I would, I would just say, go for it. If you want to have this on your resume, stop putting it off. You're going to, um, you're going to wait too long. And there's actually a physical part to this that you have to capture. And I think that's part of it too. There's, there's a window after you've had kids and that, you know, you've got maybe a decade or two before things start going South and I'm in that zone right now and I'm going to maximize it. I don't want to waste this time. Luckily I didn't abuse my body in the first half of life. So I don't have any aches and pains that I have to deal with too much. Um, I just have to keep myself uh, in, in fit, in, in a fit condition. So I can keep doing this until I can't, uh, we even had a, a friend go ahead. Yeah. No, go. I, I was going to tease you and say, but you're going to retire after Mount Whitney. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. I keep, I, there's just, I got to stop. Right. That's just the end. It's the highest possible no. place. I, well, cause then there's Alaska. Darn it. There's always Alaska. Yeah. There is always Alaska. <laughs> 
we had one friend uh, in our mountaineering group die this year from an accident. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, was shocking way too young. Uh, he, he was in his sixties, a great climber had done Denali had done Rainier had done all these, but their the rock gave way and two people in Glacier Mountaineering Society fell to their death. So it was kind of a, uh, a reminder of the, you know, one extreme of this experience. They knew what they were doing. They, uh, it, it wasn't, a, a noob mistake. It was just rock gave way and that happens. So in some ways it's kind of uh, like in, in some ways it's kind of profoundly beautiful too. Like there's something that makes it real again. We're not just cushioned in bubble wrap when we're doing these things. It's, it's, it's kind of a beautiful reminder too bad that it had to be at the loss of life, but that's how I'm choosing to take that news as uh, as a reminder as to, you know, yeah, the, no. the, the, the depth of this experience is that's at the bottom, that's at the far end of what can happen to you. Yes, there is a sense. I mean, when you talk about surrendering control, I, I, I mean, th- there are a lot of layers to that control that you're surrendering. Yeah. And you're also giving into an idea of impermanence, I, I, just of your body, of your life in some ways. Yeah, right. And, and and it's a risk we take. Yeah. One last thing I need, do need to show you. I got to the t- uh, camp mirror where you camp for the night on the side of the mountain. I found out my spork, my plastic spork had broken. And so I asked to borrow a spoon from base camp and ended up taking it home accidentally, kind of accidentally, and got it engraved with Matt Rainier, <laughs> 14,000, what does it say, 410. And then the date we uh, summited. So that's going to be on my wall for the rest of my life in my cabin in Montana. That's where that's where that's going. <laughs> I love that. I think spoons make the make the best souvenirs, and I think that's that's the perfect. It was a utensil that you needed to get you through yeah. the mountain, and there it was. And what a perfect, what a perfect item to represent. I mean, it's like it's like the Kleenex, and I loved your line about this this single Kleenex. But you needed that spoon. Yeah, I needed it. I had to eat out of a, out of a bag of food that would have been, you know, freeze dried food with a hot water. And I, I could not have poured that into my mouth very easily. So yeah, that yeah. was cool. I think that's the perfect souvenir. And I am just so grateful for you to following up our interview with this. And I think really serve it as an inspiration for people. Yeah. I hope, I, I hope it is anyone on the it. edge that wants to do it, just go do it. It's that big a deal. It's cool. Yeah. I'm even reliving it right now. It was crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I'm sure some of those, some of those physical sensations come back. I'm sure some mm-hmm. of that adrenaline comes back, and some of that, that that there's there's a tactile sense. Yeah, even a little bit of the nauseousness. Like I, I'm starting to think about Mount Whitney, and we're starting to plan out our route. And my my partners want to go up the Mountaineers route, which is the harder way to go. And so we're talking about sleeping on the side of the mountain. And this is this is like you know, kind of the same thing. Mid-October, we could have some weather. I, I don't know. So that little bit of, it's, it's good and bad. It's the, it's, I know I'm pushing myself a little because I feel that little bit of pit in my stomach of, yikes, what am I getting into here? Let's make sure I'm ready for this. It's also what gets me out to run every day or to climb the stairs or to head up a mountain. The next month, I'm going to be up in mountains that I can actually get up higher in and start practicing. But that's what will get me up there is that little pit in my stomach that I've, if I want to do it, I've got to be ready. 
I think that's also a good message. I think for those of us that internalize our anxiety, that there is that, that it's not just anxiety, it's excitement. Like, and there's, there's a motivating factor in there that, 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 Oh, that little, that pit in your stomach. I can feel it right now. Just thinking about it, that, that sometimes it has many meanings. It isn't just don't sometimes it's pushed through. And you gotta, you gotta pick and choose, but I have seen people choose not to follow those or people choosing to listen to the pit and then say no to something because it's too scary. And I don't think that their lives look that as, as fulfilling because, and I know at some point you got to start saying no to, no to stuff, but don't do it until you have to don't, you know, like really think twice because that is, I think a, a, a really early way to kind of die, you know, to start saying no to stuff mm-hmm. when really this is a great yes. time of life just to say yes to stuff. My kids would be fine. I wouldn't be missed from the planet for for very long, but I think it's a good time to say yes to these things. I love that. I think that's a perfect note to end on. And we'll we'll put all of your links in the show notes and there will be a full, for people that are listening, there'll be a full section of photos on the episode webpage. So you can, you can see the journey. And I, I think you should make a print of your Rainier, your Rainier drawing. Oh yeah. Maybe I will. Just saying. (laughs) Okay. Thanks. Thank you, Kate. (laughs) Okay. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Groundwork Podcast. If what you heard today resonated with you, may I ask that you share it with your friends or leave us a review? This helps others find Groundwork. If you're looking for more, you can find us at groundworkcollective.com and at Groundwork Collective on Instagram. I would like to give a very special thank you to China and Seth Kent of the band All Right, All Right for clips from the beautiful song Over the Edge from their album, The Crucible. You can find them at All Right, All Right on Instagram and wherever you listen to music. <laughs>